back to American Cultists podcast. My name is Sean Prober, and you're once again joining me to discuss all things American and how best to proceed. Uh, now, today's episode uh, comes on the heels. I guess I'm I was dealing with some scrutiny. I won't deal with um, with, with the exact the exact group um, I was talking to, but it's a libertarian one. And I was, as we've been kind of doing the last few weeks, been kind of defending Stefan Molyneux on his particular comments on race and his comments on IQ. And uh, I had brought this into a group, and uh, you know, this is a group I actually donate to, and I, I actually I do think they're doing terrific things. Um, I'm trying to so. My comment on this was uh, Stefan understands the that libertarian ideology rests upon the bedrock of Western culture. As the years pass, we see the preferences of certain groups in America. As the data supports, libertarian thinking is almost exclusive to those whose bloodline goes back to Western Europe. As that blood is diminished in our in our country, so goes the shreds of libertarian support in our land. I could understand supporting Trump over Joe Jorgensen, who was the previous libertarian candidate, as I believe pandering to minority groups is the most vile behavior a politician can display. I have heard Stefan, uh, I have not heard Stefan insult Ron Paul. They, they had said that he insulted Ron Paul, uh, but I'll, I'll take uh, their word on it. So, uh, so, so that was my, my, you know, obviously based and red pill take on, on this kind of criticism of, uh, a libertarian's criticism of, of Stefan, which I, I always thought he was very justified with. Uh, so I get, I get this back in response and, and keep in mind, I'm, it's all kind of tongue in cheek because I, I do support this group wholeheartedly, um, even though I'm not even going to say the name. Um, I, I think that they're the best, the best option available. And so this, um, I guess he would be kind of a, like a general in this army, uh, so something like that, a, a higher ranking person. He shows up at a lot of events. And so in response to that comment, well, you know, just to, to give you somebody else, somebody else responded and they said, I'm new to the group. Are you the white nationalist element I've been warned about? And then I, of course, said, as an observant Jew, I I tend to to shy away from such terms as, as white nationalist. Now I I ended up pressing a button, so okay, I'm back at the screen. So now their their higher ranking member goes and he says, "Huh?" Question mark. Rothbard starts off his first volume of history of economic thought of his economic thought series by pointing to who he believed was the first libertarian he had found, Lao Tzu. You know, if, uh, if, if we saw a lot more Asian immigration, I think their IQ is, is almost a standard deviation above the average white population in America. So I, I could see that being, being true. I, I won't contest that. Um, 
people slamming things behind me. And and who was it, to continue, and who was it that made monumental contributions to economic theory by reviving concepts such as time preference? Yes, correct. That was the late Spanish scholastic between the 16th and 17th century that were affiliated with the school of Salamanca. Now, um... I believe Spain's in Western Europe. I'm not sure what he's disagreeing with at this point. Now, I could go on in both uh, on on both in terms of the wide range of thinkers from all walks of life, which wasn't my point. There are obviously brilliant people of all races who contributed to this movement, and I would also provide endless examples of Western Europeans who are. Um, dictatorial, statist, freedom resenting, and any characteristic antithetical (laughs) to those of someone who values freedom. Now, of course, the existence of these people doesn't negate my claim that the majority don't. But instead, I'll just be very frank. Now, this was where he gets very serious and very insulting. Take that bullshit about historically libertarian thinking is almost exclusive to those whose bloodline (laughs) right on out of here. Now, I could almost understand that. I'm not even really mad at him. Obviously, when you you start talking into bloodlines and you start getting into... um, the, the removal of blood or the replacement of blood, you're getting almost into poetic terms. I think I often fall into this negative category. So, so far, I completely agree with this man. I, I think that I, I, I wrote too many songs when I was a young, angsty person, and I, I can't get out of the poetics of it. So, of course, I always turn everything into blood. And I, I guess there's an overlap there with some nasty people in history, but... It's more meant at, at a poor man's attempt at, um, at poetry. So he goes, the fact that you think this is a normal way to converse with others is quite frankly bizarre. And then he names the person who I was talking to. I apologize, and this kind of nonsense is rare to deal with, not just in here, but especially in here where the majority of us actually dedicate our lives to studying history, economics, and a whole array of topics, and wouldn't say such moronic things. Now, this this gentleman happens to uh, be an editor of their um, of their website, and, and he's published my articles <laughs> all all on these issues, um, on issues issues such as history and a wide array of topics. So at, at some point he thought I might have had an idea of what, what I was thinking. Um, but now it's clear that I quote, haven't studied uh, the topics. And he goes, there's no white nationalist element in the caucus and Sean and anyone who begs to differ can see their asses out and good riddance, intelligent people who actually know what they're talking about don't make these arguments, uh, period. So, <laughs> so yeah, now I, I'll tell you my response, or my response doesn't, doesn't really matter. I guess I'll say it. I'll give you mine, and I'll give you... Um, I'll give you others. If this isn't enjoyable for anybody, skip to... How long is this going to take me? Skip to 11 minutes, and we're going to get to the real main topic, which is probably more interesting. So I respond back more broadly. 
we're talking about voting program, uh, voting patterns, and the rest is incidental. I gained a lot of respect for the Mises Institute in no small part due to speakers like Lou Rockwell. We're not afraid to break with the standard libertarian stance of open borders. When we look at who is libertarian, the answer is clear. When we look at those who advocate for the greatest number of government expansions, Anybody? Well, the, the answer is very clear. I might have laid into a few tropes too heavily, my poetics, um, in the previous passage, but I, uh, well, I, I don't see anyone, how anyone can, agree, uh, can argue that increased levels of immigration wouldn't directly reduce voting odds for advocates of small government. Let's say that again, let's say it a million times. I don't see how anyone can argue that increased levels of immigration wouldn't directly reduce voting odds for advocates of small government. That's what every American needs to be thinking. That's why we all need to be thinking that immigration is the direct, well, the, the direct enemy of liberty. Um, so um, another gentleman writes back and he goes, he's definitely uh, got some personality issues, but he's not evil. So I guess I'll take that as an endorsement. So I, it's funny that I have um, all this issue here because I have some great ideas on how to win over the hearts of non-voters for more fringe third-party groups such as the Libertarians. So in, uh, in viewing the groups that that look to dramatically reshape the culture in which we live, there are similarities that permeate across political orientation. The notion of a black pill, a fact, premise, or event that creates a sense of hopelessness for an individual is something of a landmine for young political movements. I don't mean movements that are filled with young people, but young in, in terms of uh, how long they've been around. Now, as a result, the diametrically opposed white pill is offered up in communion to the small bands who continue their fine work. But to be a dissident of, of any flavor requires a war of two fronts. Now, with, with the powers to be pushing from one side and the ghosts of doubt and hopelessness pulling up the flanks. For this reason, a thriving culture must be built along the shores of progress, fueling the social animal spirit within actors of the movement during their recusant affairs. With so much, uh, with so much paid uh, so much focus paid on supporters of candidates and causes and their loud voices. Those wanting uh, and those writing the story of, of American politics, let's start that all over again, with so much focus paid on supporters of candidates and causes, those writing the story of American politics, there is very little said of those who refuse to even pick up a pen. Now, with the loosening of restrictions on mail-in ballots, America was finally able to crack 60%, up from 54% of eligible voters in 2016. Even with the notable increase, about 80 million people decided to not even bother sending out a letter of preference. On the ballot, dismissed by these millions, were options of third-party oppositional voices. Yet, they were dismissed along with the broader dismissal of the system altogether. 
Absent of their hope that their voice could create change, the quote-unquote black-pilled or apathetic voting population, more like an army, uh, you know, the the black-pilled or apathetic voting population is more like an army of the dead than an anomaly. I edit these as I as I record. Now, <laughs> while difficult to vote, uh, while difficulty to vote is commonly cited as a reason for low voter turnout, a recent IPOS study indicated that three quarters of non-voters said they think it's at least somewhat easy to vote. A majority of these people expressed believing that it makes no difference who is elected president. Now we have. How voters and non-voters see the world. So we're gonna we're gonna um, say a, a question, and then we're gonna give you the percentage of the non-voters who believe that, and we're gonna give you the percentage of the voters. So traditional parties and politicians don't care about me. Eighty percent non-voters agree. Seventy-three percent of voters. I like that. Seventy-three percent actually agree with that. Who vote? The mainstream media are more interested in making money than telling the truth. Eighty percent non-voters. Seventy-two percent voters. The American economy is rigged to uh, to the advantage of the rich and the powerful. Seventy-eight percent non-voters. Sixty-nine percent voters. We should have a third party. Uh, in addition to the Democrats and Republic. Now, this is what's so striking. 64% of non-voters agree with that, whereas more, 67%, which indicates my thesis later on. Success in life is pretty much determined by forces outside our control. 46% non-voters, 34%. Uh, voters. Most issues discussed in Washington don't affect me personally, 47% non-voters, 32% voters. We should do away with the electoral college and elect presidents by popular vote, 61% non-voters, 57% voters. Voting in elections has little to do with the way the real decisions are made in this country. 66% non-voters, 45% voters. Extinction in this country or free... uh, (laughs) Extinction. Election in the country are free and fair for all. 45% non-voters, 56% voters. It makes no difference who is elected president. Things just go as they did. This is very striking. 53% non-voters, 24% voters. I'm only one person, so my vote doesn't make a difference. 50% non-voters, 17% voters. Voting is uh, harder than it should be, 19% non-voters. 12% voters. So the people that actually vote even realize that it's not that bad. Uh, So as revealed by by all these, the condemnation is clear. The state has failed at being representative. And the political realm is time-wasting theater on which no one should spend time, energy, or resource to these people. Every four years, the group is shamed for their inactivity with lines about unprecedented import and moral necessity. But yet their legitimate critiques go unresolved. Voters... 
uh, present arguments contingent on the healthy function of the state, which obviously have no impact on those who have already pronounced representative democracy dead. Their vote will never come from consensus or an opinion. Rather, the non-voting will only vote if inspired to ch that change is even possible. So how do we do that? How do we inspire the change? According to the same IPO study, the 80 or so million Americans are less engaged in their communities and have less confidence even in their local government. As local causes have a greater impact and visibility on individuals, a consistent messaging and impact on the city and county level is a prerequisite for engaging non-voters. While the condemnation of the military-industrial complex or the Federal Reserve or are both appropriate engaging, the third-party local affiliate or politicians should have the primary goal of educating the public on policies and laws directly impacting them. Failure to alleviate the local impact malaise leaves no hope of motivating national ambitions. Now, aside from policy, the remaining element is the personality of the candidate or affiliate. The trust in both is the bedrock on which mobilization is made possible. Be visible in community forums as you'll reach more undecided voters or these non-voters than you were in politically oriented in-person events. The non-voting are in agreement about the state of the country. They sound like libertarians to me. It, it's proving you're a worthwhile movement. That is the true goal. Now, these 80 million Americans are also less engaged in their communities and less confident even in their local governments. They're also less likely to volunteer or be civilly engaged. And I think that is a redundancy. Now, when we imagine the political implications of mobilizing this group... Here it is. Maybe there is a white pill in the sea of despairing black. <laughs> so hopefully that will um, get some people thinking. I, I know for me it was very interesting to just think, and as I said in this article, there's so much about the people that make so much noise. But the amount of people that are quiet is, is so shocking. Uh, and their silence is truly deafening. We're, we're talking about about 40 plus percent every vote who just don't care don't think that the state's even functioning up to the ability to be able to impact that that truly representative democracy is dumb and, that, and that's a pretty sad uh, pretty sad stance so i think we're going to talk about more about these uh the black-pilled population more and more. Now, um, yeah, I, I know in the beginning of this video or, or this uh, podcast, we talked a little bit about social media affairs and some silliness. Uh, give me your feedback on whether or not you even, even like that. But uh, ho hopefully I'll, I'll sort things out with my, my buddies. I, I think I saw a few friends drop off my, uh, my, my count. But hopefully we'll keep... We keep chugging along, keep, uh, keep trying to give the best honest opinions that we can give. Um, and sometimes, uh, sometimes that's not going to be accepted and sometimes that's not going to be liked. But all we can do is look at data and, and report back on what we're saying. And, uh, and we can look at ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day. 
And, uh, you know, I, I guess the people criticizing us They always have their reasons. And, and let's just say sometimes that reason's in their bed. And, and we'll leave it at that. So uh, take care, everybody. We're, we're looking forward to uh, chatting again. Have a great uh, Tuesday.